Welcome back to Sound Up Governance. This episode is part two of what it turns out will be a three-part adventure featuring Paul Smith of the Future Directors Institute in Australia. Paul came by my office in December 2022 to chat about, well, literally anything that crossed our minds over the course of a couple of hours. Last time, we talked about stakeholder capitalism and director duties and all that fundamental stuff. Here in part two, we zero in on something we've both spent a ton of time working on, governance education, including how we think it could be rethought and improved. As you'll quickly hear, there was also some scotch involved. Oh, and we were simultaneously recording ourselves on camera, but the footage didn't turn out so good, so please just laugh at us when we speak as if you can actually see what we're doing. Without further delay, here's part two of my conversation with Paul Smith. I don't tell me, tell me about education. Tell me about education. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just from, start from the beginning. <laughs> so... There was Adam and Eve, <laughs> and they were taught a lesson which they completely ignored. What did they oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I spun that. It was quite nice, actually. Um, I was quite impressed with myself there. <laughs> scotch is really kicking in. No. Um, okay, starting again. Wait, you had scotch in your coffee? Mm. Is, that, is that not what's going on? We're just having Irish coffees? Yeah. It's just scotch, for the record. Yeah. A little bit of water for me, because I'm a bit of a... Uh, can't drink neat. Um, so... Starting again, uh, I wanted us to talk about education, specifically in the governance space, in mm. the board or corporate governance space. Um, and, you know, education institutions, director institutions have been around for decades, supposedly educating all of the board world um, across the full range of company types of industries. And yet, we still have problems in the boardroom, people not really even understanding their basic roles and responsibilities. But the question is, is it, is it about the way? Is it about the content? Is it about who's in the room? Is it about who's teaching? I think is it's it about- an open-ended question. It really is an open question. Like, where is there a problem? First of all, is there a problem? Are they, is everybody doing the best it possibly can be done? Mm-hmm. If there is a problem, is it a problem with the demand side, with the boards, or is this a problem with the supply side, the education institutions? And you and I both are in education, in governance mm-hmm. education. You know, you independently, you also through the Institute in Canada, um, myself also uh, through future directors, but also through different agencies, like different institutes around the world. I have a question about, because Australia's got a much more uh extensive yes governance industry than really canada exten- does really yeah. extensive yeah so i'm interested actually crazily so given oh, the size of our population no it's really it's really intense but we can get into the the reasons why well, i think sure I, before we get into the the sort of history of it um to what extent does the governance industry or maybe we can start with the aicd and you can expand to whatever other institutions you think are relevant. AICD is the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which describes itself as the largest director membership organization in the world. And they develop the skills and capabilities of leaders for the benefit of society. 
They do this through the delivery of hugely popular governance courses and also through the development of toolkits and other resources for boards. The equivalent in Canada is the ICD or Institute of Corporate Directors. In the US, it's the NACD or National Association of Corporate Directors. In other words, similar associations or institutes exist all over the place. Anyway, back to the AICD. To what extent do they have a their own ideas that they're trying to perpetuate versus at least this is my experience with the institutions, whether it be the Institute of Corporate Directors or the universities or whatever, they just kind of take the educators that get the best like evaluations and say, go, they don't really police the content very much. So they don't get, if you go across the whole spectrum of offerings, it's not the really consistent message about what, about all the basic stuff you're talking about. I would say that there's some consistency okay. um, around it all because the main one, the main the main thing is the company director's course. Like it's the introductory, very technical roles, responsibilities, definitions, very consistent, delivered by different facilitators, and then lots of case studies, huge amounts of case studies, um, and scenarios which then become the foundations for your testing. In order to get your post nominals, um, but Do you that's have them, by the way. Did you take the course? Okay. Have, you, have you been in the I room? I refuse to. Have you been in the room? I've been in the room with a number of them, yeah. And I've also interviewed a lot of people who've done it. Okay. And some people say wonderful, some people say the worst week of my life. Sure. Most people say I knew a good 50 to 80% of the content right. already. Um, okay. Because they've been in boards or done MBAs or run businesses, uh, even been C-suite. Um, a lot of it's quite intuitive. That's through the Institute. That's through that Institute. The AICD. The AICD, the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And again, <clears throat> like anything else, subjectively evaluating the quality of the content comes down to the individual. Right, so a lot of people think it's questions about that. A lot of people, yeah, well, they do, they get feedback, right? And, um, I'm sure like everybody else, they get feedback on their content and it does evolve. Um, and many people think it's really good quality. I don't have a problem with the quality of the content so much as I, I don't think for me, there's no guidance within that of where it needs to go. It's more here it is. It's not like they're trying to shift mindsets um, or trying to sh or evolve anything. Yeah. It's more a case of here's the information presented in a certain way go and do what you want with it. Yeah. You know, and they're not trying to advocate for, I've never seen them coming across as an advocacy group of trying to raise, they talk about wanting to raise standards, but through more people doing their stuff rather than lifting the whole game. So that would they describe themselves, I'm sorry to focus on them, but I, there's such a big presence in your world. Well, you they, know, they're the largest institute in the world. Yeah. It's an, it's an unbelievable success. Yeah. 50,000 members. Um, They've been, they're a non-profit. They've been around for, I don't know, decades. Um, they're a massive institution and we have, a, you know, 25 million people in our country. Uh, but we have a, a huge amount of companies and organizations for such a small country. Um, seven, close to 70,000 registered charities, mm. 15,000 schools, three and 3,000 plus listed companies, two and a half million small to medium to large private businesses, 
more a whole bunch more non-profits so who aren't charities you know conservatively there's about half a million to a million non-executive directors so non-executive so ignoring all the business small business owners and the family business everything like that of a working population of about 11 million people so there's no wonder there's a massive is that directors or seats that's directors so how many seats are there well, it depends. It's defend. I don't. I wouldn't know how to look at every single constitution. Um, a lot. You think it would probably be ten times that? Yeah, potentially. So five million people sit on boards out of eleven million. No, I no, no, not that many. That's how many people actually sit on boards right now. That's what I'm saying. Half a million to a million Seats. sit on boards. Okay. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, yes. they sit on boards as non-executives. So people. And we don't, yeah, so it's that many people sitting on who knows how many boards. Yes. Yeah, okay, got it. Yes, 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 because I, I do a, I do account for some double up. Yeah, got it. Okay, um, got it. And obviously, because you've, the majority of board directors in Australia will be a single seat rather than multiple because you'd have less professionals and the majority would be unpaid in charitable school situations. Sure. The majority. So what that's bred in Australia, you've got the AICD, then you've got the Governance Institute, which is the old corporate secretaries, company secretaries group. Yeah. Similar to most countries, they have those dual ones yeah. and they've sort of morphed into a more We've wider governance thing. Then you've got all the ancillary groups, the, all the consultants, the other trainers. Um, most are focused either on, the trainers are focused on entry point like helping you into the boardroom in the first place. And that's where it's sort of that. I always say that's where 90% of the market operates from the education point of view is getting you in. Mm -hmm. And then the rest are consultants working with boards on reviews and evaluations and training and another thing we should talk stuff. about. So, okay. So, so it's a massive industry in Australia for such a small country. And yet, and I think generally I would say going around the world held up as sort of quite a high standard and mature standard of right. corporate if, governance. If we were, yeah, for sure. If we were looking at corporate governance success as the, the structure of an industry around it, you guys would win. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think though, what you're getting at or what you were getting at when you prompted this conversation about education, and this is why I wanted to start with them instead of with you. So you're starting a thing in education. I know it's not just education, but that's sort of part, a big part of the headline. Clearly, you think there's something new you can do. You've got the most educated directors in the world. Yeah. So now what? What do you guys do? The problem with the current space is it's inaccessible for a whole bunch of people. Right, so you've got 500,000 people. How many of them do you think can, ex can access it? 10, 20%. Okay. And that's just the ones in the room right now. Mm. You will talk about all the ones that aren't in the room or all the ones that need even the basic governance, you know, the small, mm -hmm. small medium-sized businesses that don't think of governance the same way a, a NED might, non-executive might think about it, or fiduciary. There's still fiduciary boards, but it might be one or two people, founders of a business, owners sure. of a business. Um, I would say, yeah, 10 to 20%. The reason why it's not inaccessible is because they've got older models which are expensive, so mm. it's out of reach, or it's ge geographical or time-based. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on our time in us in that city, and if you're in a regional place or you don't have that time, you don't have those money. That's the accessibility thing. I think there's also for me there's the new take on it all. 
for me, it's bringing new things to the boardroom which aren't really taught as much. Whether it's the human side, the board dynamics, the cultural element of, you know, boards looking at themselves and going, how can we do our job better as a group of human beings? To some of these new topics that are coming through, the sort of more meta issues that are being taught to upskill board directors to help them make better decisions or identify risks, the risks they don't have any exposure to because they've had no history with. You know, think about a, one of the kind of fundamental roles of a board is to identify roadblocks based on their experiences. And the more diverse experiences you have in business or in life, the more you can identify potential roadblocks to any given strategy. But when these roadblocks are brand new and no one's exposed to them before, and there aren't many of those, even cybersecurity has been around for decades. But in Australia at the moment, um, cybersecurity is the thing. So everybody's jumping on that. Okay, got to get educated on cybersecurity. But I'm thinking even beyond that. Mm -hmm. Like, what can, what are we teaching them that's even beyond that? Yeah. Um, and also, how are we teaching that? You know, what you'll find in many countries, especially in Australia, you get the cyber um, security agencies or educators or even the big four consulting firms are the ones who are brought in to teach this stuff. I'm thinking, what do we get taught by a hacker? about cybersecurity, the ones who are actually breaking down the systems in the first place, the ones who are 10 years ahead of where most of these groups are. That for me is the, the evolution of sort of the education space. So it's like multiple multifaceted in that respect. How, how important is it for it to be everyone in the room understands it walking in versus it's communicated to them in the moment in a way that everybody can understand. So do we walk in, do we all have to walk into the room with a base understanding? How important is that versus let's make sure that when we're talking about it, we're using, you know, that's a great question. I think ideally both mm -hmm. in the real world, it's how it's communicated so they can put a lens over it, which stress tests it. I don't expect every director to be across every right. thing you, it's just impossible it's just too much going on now there's a base level of understanding that needs to be there but that can be communicated in real time yeah and, and i think that's the problem is often these very technical issues those groups find it hard to communicate to the boardroom what's going on so the boardroom can actually do their right. job so i think that's where there's a little bit of give and take but this is the problem board members only have a certain amount of time so what you you might end up seeing is people having to be able to take on fewer roles yeah and then you're going to have a shortfall there's already a shortfall of quality board directors and so it's a it is there's so many big mega trends that are coming out in terms of i'm already seeing people step away from board roles because they're tired and they can't manage that many and they, they want to give up they're giving up the voluntary ones in the first place charity then, board members have to be volunteers in australia uh, no, don't have to be. It's a choice. Okay. There's an they have to be here. Okay. So you're not allowed to be paid here. No, not in, no, in Australia. You can be paid, but it comes down to the individual organization to decide where they want to do that. Yeah. Uh, generally by and large, they're unpaid. Yeah. Um, I don't like the word volunteer because it feels like it's not a serious thing where it's just unpaid. It's like, it's still a job to be a board director. When you say volunteer, it doesn't feel like it's a job. And I think, okay, yeah, it's just something I've come to learn myself sure. is I don't, the word volunteer means I'm giving up my time to do something good, whereas unpaid, I've got a job to do, I'm just not getting paid for it. So it's just semantics, really. That's, no, that's fair enough. So 
I he, it's it, interesting I didn't know that that here it's law you can't be in paid Ontario, it might be the case all across Canada hmm. there's many many other varieties of not-for-profits where you're allowed to pay yeah. board members like associations this is charities and, we're yeah, talking about though. Charities. Yeah. so the reason why I asked about this distinction between you know everybody coming into the room with a baseline understanding versus communication of the stuff in a way that everyone can understand is exactly what you just described which is we can't expect everybody to come into the room understanding enough about everything to but also i'm i have an increasing belief that governance education focuses too much on directors i think it needs to focus more like the balance needs to shift towards senior executives mm -hmm. partly because they influence board effectiveness more than the board does through because they control the flow of information they control the content and style of the pre-reads and presentations they're the ones who make the conversation prompts at the end yeah. board has a authority to do whatever they want but they're mostly going they're walking through the doors that senior executives open for them mostly and that's fine, right? They've delegated the authority to senior management to run the organization. So that's that's a natural, maybe not perfect balance. And I wonder if there might be a remarkable opportunity to maybe double the impact of governance education if it's more focused, focused on, senior on, executives. on the senior executives. I completely agree. And actually, by extension, you could say owners, shareholders, members. Mm -hmm. You know, donors mm -hmm. need to be educated because they're the ones who are controlling often what the board they put are up the people to. on the board. Yeah. yeah. So if they actually had, and again, I use the word empathy here. Mm -hmm. If you, you're talking about all three of those main groups, right? Senior management, management board. And we've call it, invested in call directors. It, call it shareholder for the way as a catch all of the money people, you know, donors, government, whatever. Those three groups all need to have empathy for each other. Right. And an under and a, and a really high level of governance because they're all governing. Mm -hmm. All three of those groups are governing. One is board, you know. But and if you think about enterprise governance, they're all I involved in making decisions which impact the corporation. I think the front lines are involved. Yeah. Oh, everybody. Yeah. I'm a. You know, if we're going to go there, I I think everybody should be not only involved in governance in some well, way. They but, are whether they want to or well, not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there, there needs to be a level of understanding and it's Agreed. not it's not taught in schools it's not taught in some schools do but they talk about it as decision making critical thinking and i think that's the stuff which is great to be teaching agree and i think that's where for me the opportunity sits is you're right senior management we definitely need to upskill them and that happens a lot like a lot of people who go and do courses in australia are actually from management Right, they're not, they're not doing it to. We're get often teaching them. In my experience, maybe it's different in Australia. In Canada, the courses I the, I teach the one tiny little course that I know of in Canada that's d intended to help senior executives be more effective when they're working with their boards. Yeah, that's mostly what it's taught. Oh, that's so you guys do that. Yeah, or they'll go and do the company director's course again. Right, which is different. They're learning yeah. to be a good director or yeah. learning the basics of being right, which so is which is twofold reason for that. One them becoming a director right. and two them working with a board, but it hasn't been I think there's a gap there is turning it around. Agree. Whereas it's like how do you work really well with your board? What are the board? But equally, I think I don't think the board gets taught how do you work really well with management. No, I agree. And part of the reason why this occurred to me to talk about was because I kind of feel like 
the important substance of this is not subject specific, right? So it's not, let's get the board as familiar as possible with cybersecurity. Yeah. It's about, and this is the reason why, I, those of you who know me know I'm obsessed with Thing explainer, but I, you, I, you know, uh, you showed me that I got a copy for my son, and which was really for me. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I gift it to CEOs all the time because I'm just going to randomly open a page, and it's, the page is. This is the one. This is the one just for my listeners. This is the book where they they're only allowed to use a certain number of words, isn't it? Like how many words they got? It's the it's the the. Uh, the top 1,000 most common words in the English language. That's all they're allowed to use to ex to explain so, things. So I opened it to the to the weirdest page. So I'm going to switch to another <laughs> random page. Share, yeah. So this is the first one. So I, I don't even need to describe it, but I show it to to CEOs, and it's on the first page is like a blueprint style illustration of the International Space Station yeah. with a bunch of really accessible descriptions not just accessible because it's using only the 1,000 most common English words, but it's also fun. And it points out the interesting stuff. And you can spend <laughs> let's clarify fun. Fun if you're an absolute nerd like we are. Oh, no, come on. It's fun. <laughs> Who doesn't want to understand the International Space Station a little bit better? And so and and because it's brief, it's one page or it's right. It's just one page and not a lot of text, maybe 200 words, 300 words. And you come out of it and you're like, oh, I kind of understand what the International Space Station is for. I didn't need to learn any new words. And we can do this mm. with a cybersecurity issue, yep. right? It's possible. Not necessarily in that style. This takes a remarkably specialized skill set to do that. But it is possible to communicate in a way that you can bring a lay audience into a subject to the extent where they can think critically about it and have a conversation and make suggestions and work together to come up with. Well, it's not paths. like they're being asked to change the technology around right. it. You know, again, I think often we find we have to teach boards this level of technical knowledge, which A, will probably go over most of their heads, right? but doesn't help them do their job properly. And this is it. So I want to take exactly what we're talking about back to the, this bigger question of education. Because this started where we, before we started recording here, we were talking about the flaws and so on of, of director education and governance education. I think this is maybe the most important one, which is what evolves is we're trying to put subject headlines that are relevant cryptocurrency or you know ai or whatever and all those matter it's fine tell stories about cryptocurrency and ai and cybersecurity and whatever it's fine but no matter how much you understand about that stuff you're not it doesn't make you a good director and if it matters and i can think of all kinds of reasons why it would if it matters to have an expert on that stuff in the room, or maybe two, great, get those. They still need to be trained to be a good director, right? Being an expert in a thing doesn't make you a good director. And I think where the, the pro my problem is the lack of emphasis on what's the difference between someone who's doing the job and someone who's doing it awesome. Mm -hmm. We the, the education programs that I'm familiar with focus too much on, you need to come into the room understanding everything. And too little on how do we actually, once we've got people in the room who understand all that stuff, how do we be a good board? Yeah. 
yeah, is it focuses on the individual as opposed to the collective? Because if you think about a board, it's a whole, it's a collective unit making decisions together. Often what happens is you've got that one specialist in the room that everybody diverts to. So it's not a collective decision. It's a case of an individual decision that everybody else ratifies because they go, I don't understand. I have a hack for that, by the way. Have I told you my hack? No. Because um, one of the biggest problems with expertise is the more expertise you have in a technical area, the worse your forecasting gets related to that area of expertise. And this has been scientifically or experimentally proven in doctors and stock pickers and a bunch of different stuff. The, the, the most famous stat being a physician who's 100% confident in their diagnosis is wrong 40% of the time. So that's roughly random. But what you want is not, it's not, doesn't mean don't trust your doctor. It means you want a doctor who's got lower confidence, right? Because if they, if they hundred percent confidence in their diagnosis, that means get a second opinion. <laughs> uh, and because there's this weird relationship between confidence and forecasting accuracy, I've been trying to work with my clients and the other, and the, the, the courses that I work with and say, look, that doesn't mean you don't want experts in the room, right? Just because they're bad forecasters doesn't mean they can't be good directors, but it means you're screwing up if you're engaging them in a forecasting role, right? Because we can, we all know now that they're going to suck at that. Yeah. So engage them instead of asking them the question ask them what questions we should be talking about hey paul you're an expert in governance what are the questions we need to be exploring mm -hmm. right and that's going to make you feel good because you're an expert and you're engaging us it's not there's no ego damage it just reverses it exactly. doesn't it? it just instead of putting it on one person you turn it into the one person educate you know educating or upskilling everybody else by asking them yeah how yeah and engaging us in a, a conversation where even the people who don't know anything are able to contribute because Again, it, it, it goes back to the whole critical thinking element yeah. right and then and that you've got these brains around the room who can engage that way um so then the question comes back down to how what level of knowledge do they need to even be able to engage there none i don't know because i think the problem here is we can expand this so maybe the better way to put it is if we have an organization with a set of complex operations, the people in the room have to be able to understand the nature of those operations. Mm. That's a pretty broad statement, right? They need to be able to, when I, when I describe the risks and opportunities facing this organization, you don't want people in the room to go, huh? I don't <laughs> get it. Right? You need people to actually be able to fundamentally understand what this is for. Beyond that, other than being able, because we've got financial oversight requirements, so people need to be able to confidently say, yeah, this looks pretty good to me when it comes to the finances. Other than that, you know, as long as you understand the so what of the organization and what it does, I think there's a lot of leeway, right? And you may need at any individual moment, you may need a specific domain expert in ABC but you often don't need them in the boardroom. Like that's what committee structures can be used sure. for. That's what advisory groups can be used or consultants for. Consultants yeah, or whatever. whatever you want. Yeah. But even if you did decide you wanted them on the board, you don't necessarily need them forever. And you don't need 10 of them. Okay. So given, let's, let's assume that is the case, then how and what should we be educating our boards on? 
Oh yeah, how's that for a cliffhanger, baby? Man, listening back to this conversation has been so fun for me. I love that Paul has such a strong drive to reshape corporate directors and such a powerful willingness to let go of convention. It's no wonder that once we get going, it's hard to stop us. Thanks for listening to Sound Up Governance. As usual, please send me an email or voice memo to soundup at groundupgovernance.com if you have any objections or complaints or insights or ideas for future guests and episodes. See you next time.